Why Do We Sound So Good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. Hey, everybody. I'm Susanna Mars. Welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Today, I thought, who would I want to take charge of the podcast? Who could invite someone really fun to talk to? And I came up first with Keisha Jarrett, who's the audience development and marketing director at Artist Repertory Theater, where I'm also a resident artist. And she so kindly agreed to come and talk about film with us. We both share a total love of film, a total love of storytelling. So take it away, Keisha. I am going to be a guest at your tiny party. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is going to be super fun. Um, I decided to invite uh, my friend Afani Bell, uh, who is the executive producer over at Open Signal. And he's also a director and independent producer in his own right. Um, So welcome to you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, this conversation is really starting back to something that we talked about three or four months ago, right uh, right before Black Panther Mm. opened, I believed. And so really talking about film um, and and then really dialing in and getting into Black filmmakers in particular. Mm. Um, And so I just wanted to sort of throw out, like, now that Black Panther has been out, it's been out just shy of like eight weeks. Um, like a it, billion, jillion dollars. It has. It just <laughs> surpassed Titanic yeah. to be the number third uh, highest grossing movie um, of all time. So that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh sorry, domestic film. Um, And so it's just behind Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens, and then Avatar, which Mm. is huge. Um, And for him, he is under 30, and this is his first film that he got an $100 million budget for. Right, yeah, Mm -hmm. right, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, I just wanted to sort of chat a little bit about Black Panther and sort of like what were your thoughts on, on the film itself? Whew, yeah, <laughs> that's just gonna drop that. Like, I that, am. Right? Just talk about Bomb. Black Panther. There's, uh, first of all, there's so much to talk about um, about Black Panther. Yeah. Um, and ever since the movie came out, I have been, you know, sort of holding my tongue a little bit and being careful about how to communicate my what I appreciated about the film. Sure. Uh, and of course, you know, some of the things that I thought you know could have been better or needed needed work or uh, but what I realized is, is that because this film is so new and different, it required that I developed a new sense of critique. Mm. And I realized that there had to be several different ways that I, I, I looked at it. And, and, and also s- several different ways that I didn't talk about it at all. Mm. Um, because I felt like that would be harmful to the broader conversation about what it means to support and to uh, promote uh, black perspectives in film, because that's really what this is about. And Absolutely. I think perspective is is sort of the key word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a lot of different thoughts about how perspective shapes the world that we live in and has shaped the world that we live in uh, since the beginning of storytelling, since we, you know, human beings on this planet uh, started painting on walls and on cave walls. Like that began this moment where reality and perspective sort of shifted and that because there was this this expression of idea from one person or even a group 
uh, that could be then interpreted by someone who comes along and sees this in a completely different way because of context or perspective or character or personality, like you see a different story. And so that became this long legacy of, um, of mastering communication right. and, and the efficiencies of communication. And now that we're here in 2018, we have so many different ways to communicate and so many different ways to miscommunicate. And so when we're at a moment like this where we have a, an underrepresented voice uh, suddenly dropping into this environment where there are so many ways to communicate and so many ways that have been manipulated in the past to communicate uh, ideas and thoughts and feelings, uh, you wade into some territory where, well, at least from my perspective, um, you want to be careful and aware of all those different particularities. And you don't want to um, criticize the, a movie because there are so many other ways where that criticism uh, is it's not warranted for a particular group of people. Right. Uh, and I felt the same way, and I felt woefully unprepared. I felt the same way that I felt in a certain way when I saw Wonder Woman. Uh, and I realized that, I mean, first of all, there are a lot of things that are problematic for me about that film. As a male, as a black male, I saw that film and I was like, mm, yeah, I, I, I get it. But at the same time, there were some challenges that I thought with that film that were particular to me. But then when I looked at my friends who were women, they saw a completely different story. And they didn't care about the same things that I cared about. Um, and so then it became a conversation about, and then James Cameron said all that stuff about the film and how it was good but not great. And, and maybe he was right from his own perspective, but did it matter? Because so many women were like, this is amazing. This is like what I've been waiting for. And for me, I was like, mm, who was the hero in this movie? You know, so I, <laughs> I, began, I really began to change my ideas about, and so, I, and so what I realized is that I had to step back. And my voice wasn't important in that conversation because that movie wasn't for me. That wasn't for me. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing the action and all that kind of thing. But the language and the underlying meaning, the emotional connection that I had was not the same as uh, the friends that I had gone to see it who were women who were like, you know what? That was, that blew my mind. And so my first thought was like, no, it didn't. And I was like, that's not my, that's not my place to say, you know. That's um, so cool what you bring up. That movie wasn't for me. Mm. Because I never, when you think in those terms of who is this for, and then allowing the movie to be for who it is for, mm. that's like a gracious way of being. Right. And the, ch the challenge with that is that when you're a studio, when you're Warner Brothers, um, you don't care about that. In fact, you want that movie to be for as many people as possible. And so that creates this Which expectation. How we get mediocrity as right. well. <laughs> exactly. So when you look at that film, it's like, um, so the whole conversation, because of these dynamics, the whole conversation has to, has to change. And we have to figure out where our place is in criticism and where our, uh, where, how do we appreciate a movie in, in its totality or, in its, 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 um, or in, its, in its pieces. One thing that I have done for a long time and my family is really uh, frustrated with me about this is that they'll ask me, you know, did you like this movie? And I'll be like, yeah, it was okay. And I'll be like, oh, I like, you know, the sound mixing was awesome. Or the production design was super solid. Uh, and so I can appreciate a film for its individual parts. So I don't think everyone who goes to a film is that critical about something. Um, but I think it's, it's a tool that I've put in my toolbox that allows me to appreciate films for what they are. So I can look at a Wonder Woman and be like, yeah, you know, the visual effects were, you know, pretty strong. And, you know, her performance was, you know, so-so. But I could, I could appreciate the film uh, in different ways rather than sort of in the simplistic, uh, singular sort of perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, I think at least going back to Wonder Woman and um, I felt so celebrated in the fact that there's this female director that's getting this huge budget to do a very large studio movie um, from a comic book universe. Um, And then excited just in the general sense of that it's happening and maybe not that excitement then carrying over all the way through Mm -hmm. everything about the film. Um, uh, And then having a little bit of that worry because what I find um, is the trend has been that you get the one chance as a person of color Mm. or as a female Mm -hmm. to make this thing. And if it doesn't bring in the money, then that's your chance and and it's over. You don't get another shot. You don't get to try again. Mm. Um, And so that became the agita that I had about it. Um, And the same thing with Black Panther. And then I'm also going to throw in a wrinkle in time in there with um, Ava DuVernay. And and she's proven to not be that case, right? Mm. So a wrinkle in time, um, a huge budget. Uh, It has made up its budget with like a squeaky... I think we're at 16 um, maybe million or right. 36 million over over that. But um, uh, essentially it's it's that she just got uh, another over $100 million budget for uh, the DC Universe of New Gods. And so that is exciting to me that like she does get to have that chance. But, you know, one of the things that we talked about before is with the success of Black Panther, with the success of a Patty Jenkins, um, um, what does that mean in terms of quality and mm, yeah. and and that quality kind of control and mm. and uh we tethered a little bit back to black exploitation yeah. in the 70s of there there were a couple of films out there right so with shaft or um uh sweet what is it sweetbacks sweet mm. um badass song that um you know those were the the cornerstone films and mm. then came all of these other films where it was just cut, 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 cut mm. until you get just mess. Yeah. So um, just kind of seeing like, what are those similarities that we can kind of point to now and then maybe try to not do right. or not repeat? Well, mm. the thing that I think about with, with it in that respect is I think about time mm-hmm. and I think the, the, the phrase like time is money Right. Like literally came from the film industry, right? Like right. I think it's one of those things that colloquialisms that developed out of that industry, and I think that right now there's a I feel like there's a there's a window, and we're in this period of time where there's an overlap of you know what can make money, like what is what is it that we can create that can sell, and what is it that we can create that can have a significant positive impact on our social political environment, right? So we have these two circles that are now overlapping wherein if we can make something that is culturally responsible that is authentic in terms of who creates it it can also make a ton of money and so i think that studios are seeing this finally uh, and i've been waiting for this moment as a filmmaker myself as a storyteller myself all my life i thought it was gonna i remember there was a moment in what was it? i think it was 1999 or 98 when um the film antoine fisher came out mm. Right. And I remember being like, this is the moment where black ma- black masculinity is going gonna, is gonna to become something that people both want to learn about and can empathize with 
on the big screen. And it's also a story that's being told by and about black men and their fragility and their and their place in this world. And it had an analog already because Goodwill Hunting had come out. And these two movies are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have they follow a very similar structure. There's a, a, a patriarchal character and an emotionally challenged but yet talented uh, individual at the core. Um, and they go through this journey of discovering themselves and then becoming a whole person. Uh, and so I had seen Google Hunting and I was like, well, this is the perfect example. This is the perfect uh, control to see what people are ready for. And the movie didn't do well at the box office at all. But I was waiting to see not the reaction from critics that, that, I, that, that I wanted to for them to, to be able to celebrate it in the same way. And I wanted people to, uh, to be able to, I, I was hoping that would be successful because then Hollywood would see that we can keep, that, that imperative would, would overlap. And at that point, I don't think we were uh, mature enough as a society yet uh, to recognize that this movie served a purpose, a socio-emotional purpose for uh, a particular group, a cultural group of people. Um, but the, the financial imperative didn't overlap. And so I was. I remember being really, really sad because that was the first movie that I sat in um, where I openly just wept, and I didn't know why. Like I, until I a couple of days later, I was like, "That was me." Like that was that was me in a way that Denzel Washington and all the other producers of that film they they were talking to me. Representation matters, right? And I and so that was a funny story. I was going. I was a sort of a third wheel on a double date with my friend, who was you know he's uh, who is uh, he wanted me to meet his, his this girlfriend of his, and he's too he's white and his girlfriend was white and we were sitting together, and he, it was hilarious because I just when I started weeping I was like you could I was sobbing you could hear me in the theater. And he just, he was looking at his girlfriend. He's like, I don't know what's going on. But he didn't, he wasn't making that connection. Uh-huh. And he didn't understand because he'd never seen me. We had gone to movies a lot, you know, together. He'd never seen me this emotional. Um, but it, it really changed everything. And I remember I went home and I just started writing. I just started, I, I started writing and I wrote like two screenplays, like full length. There were, one of them was good, the other one was crap. But I just started writing because I, I thought this was my chance. Like, I got to be ready for this moment where a studio is going to be like, we need films like this. And I think it was just like, you know, 20 years uh, too soon. Mm. Uh, but now we're at that moment, I think. And I think, but what I also realize is that I don't really care necessarily. And this is the hard part. I don't really care if a studio cares about me as a black man connecting with black characters. If they want to give me $100 million to make a film because they can make a billion, and I get to tell a story that connects with black people. Right. I'm for it. Like, I don't, like, just make, get it done. That's my thing. Um, and before, I used to be of the mind where, like, and I'm still kind of grappling with this, where I wanted people to recognize how important it was emotionally. Like, I wanted them to recognize that moral, culturally, emotional imperative. I, I, like, I was militant about it. And I still am. But, you know, I'm getting older. And I think that, you know opportunities have to come where they come and you have to take them. And I think it also might be because, you know, I've got an eight year old daughter now and she's mixed. She's light. She's, she's lighter skin than I am. Uh, and so when I saw a wrinkle in time uh, and I saw her respond to what she was seeing 
in this young girl who had a very similar hair texture, very similar uh, skin tone as the hero. And, I, and there were some things that I thought were problematic about that because then I became, became hyper protective and I was like watching the screen being like, don't watch this, don't watch this, don't watch that. I didn't do that, but I, I wanted to. As a parent, I wanted to, I had to sort of push that down a little bit. Right. But I recognized how powerful that was again. And it was happening, you know, 20 some years later uh, with, uh, with someone who's very much a part of me. Um, so there's, there's so much at stake here, but like, I think it's important for people, for filmmakers of color, for writers of color, to writers in particular, to enter into this market where studios are looking, are now actively looking for this content. But if we don't provide it from our perspective, if we're not in the position to, uh, to offer up ideas that are authentic and that are rooted in a, a truly emotional, creative, uh, intuitive space that come from that space, uh, then what we're going to get, because studios right now are, are, they're machines. Like that mechanism of that industry is, knows exactly how to get their money back. And they have scripts that have been written that are categorized, you know, 18 to 35 black women testing very well. Let's pull those scripts out. They have stuff. They have material that is written not with that emotional uh, authenticity that they can just throw out and, and produce and that will do damage. Right. So my thing right now is that we've got, I feel like we've got this window and, and I think that you know, Black Panther was, is an anomaly at this point, uh, but I don't want it to be. Uh, but I also saw some of the trailers in front of uh, Black Panther. And you know, when you go to a movie and you're seeing a movie of a specific genre or uh, they'll throw movies that have a similar, you know, uh, that are, are, are impactful for a similar, similar demographic in front of it, hoping that, you know, obviously that they'll go see the trailers in front of them. And so I was watching the trailers that were in front of Black Panther, and I was like, mm, we might have a problem here. Because uh, I saw some stuff that was just like the standard sort of uh, close to sort of step and fetch it movie about basketball with the kooky white friend and the black. And it was like, mm. Okay, so <laughs> I do have to say that uh, that for me brings up an interesting question of where did you see it? Mm. Because Maybe um, you didn't see that trailer. I saw, I, I've seen it three times mm -hmm. now and um the first time um uh, it was right in pioneer square and i think it was an even matchup in what i would call a black quote unquote black film <laughs> and then it also had every other large superhero movie sure. right oh, yeah, so right, right, right. ant-man 2 okay. uh, was coming out so um it, that was a good merger uh -huh. i felt like the second time i saw it um was at a uh what I would call a very Portland theater. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, in which I do remember walking around and the theater was sold out. Um, but I, I had a moment with my friend of saying, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person of color here. Mm -hmm. And then just, uh, we, there were three others that we saw each other and it was the hey right. nod. And there was none of, none of those, none of the other commercials, I mean, mm. or trailers that were run before. Mm. Um, and then the third time I saw it, um, I saw it when I was uh, back on the East Coast and it became a very much a, a different mm. demographic. So um, I do find that that, that also sort oh, yeah. of plays into no, no, I, where... I, you got to be really... I mean, at least I'm, I've learned to be sort of savvy about these things and putting my mind into 
you know, the minds of these studio executives who are, I think, largely responsible for turning a profit. Um, and so, you know, this is a business and this is a machine, just like, you know, our American global economy is a machine and there are inputs and there are outputs and there are expectations and a lot's riding on it. So uh, I think that's why we saw, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, I think in the in the late 70s and early 80s, we saw the beginning of independent film, right? I mean, there's always been independent film, but right. I think people saw that mechanism and that machine was playing too much of a role in creativity and art. Uh, and I think we, there were a lot of uh, people who were like, I want to pull myself out of that and I want to make art for the sake of art and cinema and film is art. Uh, and I think we saw a lot of independent studios and I know Miramax was, uh, you know, on the front end of that. And then you had uh, uh, overseas, a lot of foreign films began to be distributed here in the United States under independent distribution. Uh, so all that was was very interesting. And that sort of predates, that's sort of I, when I was sort of forming my creative identity, you know, at that particular point. Um, so I sort of really came up thinking that and believing that art was, and film was expression, and it wasn't just all about, and I love blockbuster movies just like any, you know, 12-year-old boy, and I loved all the movies that came out then. Um, but I also was able to see that there was this other side of, of, of filmmaking and creativity that was art. Um, and so that's kind of what has inspired and sort of cemented my sort of creative sensibilities in that in that sense um and i'm not sure where i was going with this <laughs> but but um uh but independent independent film was sort of a response to that and i think now we're walking into a different a very similar space but that is really rooted in perspective and a shift in perspective whether it be uh this um uh patriarch this patriarchy in film that exists and that has really spawned a response from from feminism and women in film and the Me Too movement, all of that, like all that is backlash. All that is is uh, is a a a shift from a a pervasive and overwhelming and dominant perspective. Um, and I think that it was it, it became very very toxic. Uh, those mechanisms and those rubrics and those formulas that Hollywood executives have to maintain that consistency and control of income uh, of profit becomes toxic. And I think now we're at a space where uh, we have an opportunity to for that to be subsumed, for films like Black Panther and, and Get Out to be subsumed into that. Or, and what I think is, is the most important part of this, is to do something completely different that is driven by that authenticity. And, is, it, is, and it, is, it is not determined by Disney or Marvel. And so that there's a really great opportunity here and and if we're not careful, we don't want to fall back into that sort of potential for black exploitation to, to happen where other people are telling stories that fit into this this rubric uh, that the studios sort of maintain. Right. Um, so you just brought out uh, brought up Get Out, which is um, I feel like that over the course of the past two years, we've had a really good run in regards to. Uh, what I would consider to be black cinema. So, well, rel relatively speaking, I you know, think so. yeah. Get Out, uh, Girls Trip did way I more. I haven't seen Girls Trip. Than... I, I want to. I want to. But again, my, I I wasn't when I saw that trailer. I was like, I don't really want to see this. But my sister was like, Yeah, I gotta go. Black woman, gotta go see it. And I mean, it's a it's it's a it's a black woman Sex in the City. Like right. that's what it is, and it was awesome in that in mm -hmm. in that way. Um, super silly, and it's mm -hmm. not for everybody. But to see. Four African American yeah. women 
that could be that talked quite frankly uh about sex Mm -hmm. and also were beautiful on Mm -hmm. screen in this way that i never experienced growing Mm -hmm. up and that way it was great for me um but you know just thinking about get out and girls trip and then with a wrinkle in time and um um even with mudbound like Mm -hmm. um that that movie I thought was phenomenal mm-hmm. um, that it didn't get enough, nearly enough attention. Um, but, you know, to, to start speaking a little bit more locally in regards to what's happening right mm. now in Portland um, with film and also with people of color mm. making film. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot. And there are some things that, I mean, we're working on an open signal that are directly tied into what we've been talking about. Like, I've essentially been sort of building some things at OpenSignal that are responsive. Uh, and they come from that desire to take advantage of this, the, you know, the, these, these imperatives that are overlapping. Uh, I can't, there's some things I can say, some things I can't say, uh, something that we're working on together that yes. are, 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 we're sort of partnering with uh, at Artist Rep. Um, but I think there are a lot of filmmakers who are around my age who recognize sort of the history of film and on a national level and have also been paying attention to the place where we grew up as black people in Portland in a large majority white city and pervasively white city. Um, And we've recognized that there's, and we know there's a story to tell. Uh, And so as I sit around and talk to certain folks who have, you know, dabbled in the film industry, both here and in Los Angeles, some people in New York uh, and have sort of come back to Portland and are recognizing this moment, we're all kind of being like, uh, we have to do something. Uh, and so this project that I can't yet speak about too much at Open Signal is all about sort of galvanizing that. Uh, and I've been talking to a lot of uh, uh, black screenwriters and filmmakers and producers uh, about what to do. And what I can say is we have a, we have a plan uh, there are significant resources being put behind that plan. There is a tremendous amount of interest in these stories, in this project outside of, uh, of Portland and outside of Oregon. Uh, and that's where there's uh, um, a real challenge about you know, maintaining the authenticity. Uh, but again, recognizing that you know, um, there are some things we can't avoid uh, if we want to get something done. Um, but yeah, here in Portland, there, like, we, we all feel the urgency. Like right now I just got sort of goosebumps, uh, because, uh, of all the interest. And so the, the, the challenge right now, at least for me in this project is getting everyone together, uh, recognizing that we share the same story, uh, and not getting into the challenge of who's going to do what, uh, and dealing with the. Uh, for lack of a better term, the, the, the ego about it. Uh, and I think one thing that's been successful, and uh, because I've tried this before, I've tried to sort of get uh, black creatives together, uh, and it hasn't worked. And I think it hasn't worked because of some things that are uh, beyond all of us as individuals that sort of harken back to our history as black people in this country and the attempts that were made to sort of keep us in, very intentionally apart and from being able to shape our own narrative. I think those things are still present in us today as black people. Um, but at the same time, I think that 
there is this overwhelming overlap, this time right now, I think is helping people recognize and see the need to get over that. Because I think people see that there's this window. I think people are so excited about Black Panther, but they're not just excited about Black Panther. They're excited about everything that comes after that. And so I had a, a phone uh, conference call with uh, uh, a distribu- uh, someone who represented a, a distributor, a large distributor uh, for a network. And I told him that Black Panther is the tip of the iceberg. And if we're going to work together, then this is not about you you know, controlling my narrative. This is about me letting you be a part of this and having you understand what your role is. Like your, your, your role isn't going to be the same. If we were to make a deal, if we were to come up with an idea, your role wouldn't be to guide and dictate that process. Your, guide, your, your role will be to help facilitate what comes from us. And that's, the, that's where the shift is. Uh, and that's, and that's sort of the, um, uh, that's kind of like my line, my line in the sand. Uh, I'm not going to say, no, you can't be a part of this. I'm not going to say that, you know, um, we don't want your support, but this is how you're going to do it. And I think that the only reason why that's going to work is because Black Panther, because, the, because that, that, that money is out there and that's, and money is a very strong motivator. And I think I'm going to try to take advantage of our ability to control our own cultural capital. Like I use that term a lot. I've given sort of talks and tried to explain what sort of it is to maintain cultural capital and to be able to be distributors of it ourselves. Uh, because that's what happens when someone appropriates your work, your life, your experience, and is interpreting your experience. Uh, There's so many ways that that can be misinterpreted, but also it doesn't get to benefit you. The, 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 the financial imperative, the economic imperatives don't benefit the group whose ideas where they that's where they originated it doesn't it doesn't happen so this whole idea of having cultural capital among and and black people have a tremendous amount of culture talk about creativity in in culture talk about music talk about art talk about ideas and and expression like that's all we have for such a long time and so we've built up over the course of our existence here in america in particular uh, so much cultural capital but we haven't been able to maintain it uh, we haven't been able to be able to be the arbiters of that creativity. And I think that's where we are today. And that's what I worried about. I don't want to, I tell people we can't keep giving it away. You know, this is a supply and demand issue. This is a, um, this is a, uh, if we want to take a look at it in terms of market forces. Like we have the supply and the demand is there. We, d- we don't want to undersell what we have, especially if, the benefits of that can benefit us as a community. Uh, so that's, that's the underlying, um, one of the underlying things that I, I wanna work at uh, in developing for this, uh, in this project that we're working on. So we're there. Uh, we're at this moment where we're shedding our egos a little bit and being like, my story is your story. Uh, you as a black woman, we have, we have differences, we have different uh, experiences, but there is a core similarity. And, and let's start there. And let's start to develop content and stories. And not just content and stories, but let's start to figure out how we can operationalize differently. Uh, and maybe this isn't a top-down thing. Maybe there isn't a director. And maybe we're all writers. Or maybe there isn't a, a, a lighting department. Maybe the lighting department and the camera department are the same thing. You know, there are so many different ways in sort of this meta way to come up with, to create work. You know, And I think that all of us 
who, the people that I'm thinking of who are sort of part of this group of, of creatives, like we know how to get stuff done. You know, we, we, we know how to hustle. We have, we know how to like, you know, um, uh, we know how to do uh, very little, very, do a lot with little, you know, that's the ingenuity exists. So maybe from that, you know, and when we have resources, maybe we can develop new ways of getting things done that are more efficient than the way they are now. So there are so many things to learn from this experience. And one of the things that I'm going to be doing is taking a, just a personal journal and just taking note of what it looks like. Because I don't think that this is something that I've ever seen before. I mean, there are some examples, and, and uh, unfortunately I can't mention those examples because that would have to tell a different story. But, um, but there are other people who are doing this. Uh, and that there are uh, groups of creative people who have come together, creative sort of black creatives, who are making a splash right now that are... Uh, operating under these under these conditions. Um, talk about Atlanta. Atlanta is a right. great show where, you know, Donald Glover is not unaware of the importance of that authenticity. And I think that uh, part of what we're doing here um, is uh, there's a lot of learning from that experience that I'm, a lot of things that I'm gleaning from that experience that very much inform what we're doing here. Uh, storytelling wise, but also functionally. Um. Everything you just said makes me <laughs> sorry, so I talk excited. So much, like, no, too. it just makes me so excited um, to. I'm to nervous. Be like, here. I, oh, it's, it's terrifying. It terrifying. It's not that. It is it's, terrifying. But it, there's something about this level of of being on a precipice mm. and that that exists. Of that, um, I I don't believe it's it's that it's gonna tank it's not that but it's it's that what's you the worst can that can see, happen right <laughs> you see your feet are on the edge yeah. and that level of belly dropping mm. is what's happening and so that the moment before you do that the take the leap to to see if you're gonna you know fly or drop a little bit mm-hmm. um is where is where we are and i think that that moment is is really exciting so, and so i'm I, for one, am thrilled that we're going to get to work together yeah, on that, no, yeah, that absolutely. Artist Rep is going to um, take a take a part in what Open Signal um, has in putting together. But for the people in particular that listen to this podcast mm. with Susanna um, and sort of listening to us wax poetic about black filmmakers and black film and then have this sort of back back of their mind of saying, but it's not in Portland. Mm. Um, so could you just talk a little bit about that, about just sort of what what actually exists here in this moment? Oh, um, uh, okay. So when I travel, um, in, in the past few years, I've traveled a lot uh, to, creative, to creative spaces in Philadelphia and New York, uh, Los Angeles to a lesser extent, Chicago a little bit. Um, and I think that what is here, and, th- and those are really amazing uh, communities that recognize some of the, and that are very advanced in their understanding of this creative imperative. Um, and it's here too, but what's missing is experience. All the experience is other places. Um, the technical know-how, the, there's a very limited market here in Portland, uh, for what filmmakers can do uh, in terms of making a living, like on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, as an independent filmmaker, you know, there's um, 
you know, as someone who owns a small studio, uh, production studio, uh, there are a few large companies. You got Nike, you got Adidas, you got Intel to a certain extent. You have some smaller startups who need, you know, media for their websites, internal work, and, uh, you know, in photography and in film. Like, all that stuff is is part of a, a very small pool of work. Uh, and then, then there are derivatives of that work, right? Contractors who work for Nike, who, you know, subcontract to the photographer to do some work on a project. That, that economy is so limited and very protected because once those networks you know, and relationships have been established between creative people and industry, they tend to want that consistency. And so there are very few opportunities for people who are out, very talented to break into those. Um, and so what's here in Portland is, or are, a lot of really talented, driven, motivated, uh, creative people of color who simply, f- just based on sheer numbers, um, ha- can't survive, you know? And so we end up leaving. Uh, and when we leave, uh, we find work, you know, in New York and those larger sort of urban centers, Atlanta, and, 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 and we do okay. But what's interesting is that, and this is sort of the commonality of all those people, is that we all end up coming back. We're all here. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I, I, I like to say that we're like salmon. <laughs> like, we, we go away, for, and for one reason or another, for better or for worse, we look up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 40 pretty soon and I look around and I'm like we're back why are we here <laughs> why are we why are we coming back here and I think it's because what we've seen in media largely over the past well forever about Portland it's not that's not us and I think that we want to come back here to be like no that's that's one part of Portland that's a very small part of Portland there is a history from 1863 to today that we want to tell and I think that that's sort of like an innate you know, driver of, of, of why we're here, like somewhere deep down. Because you know what? Like, I love living in New York. I love Philadelphia. Like, love, love, love <laughs> that city. Uh, but for one reason or another, I'm, I'm back here. And I'm back here because one part of the reason why I'm back here is because there's a story to tell. I love that. Um, yeah, so just in terms of... Um, uh, one last thing before we have to go, which is just, uh, could you just talk a little bit about what Open Signal is? And, and oh yeah, absolutely. So Open Signal is uh, we are a um, a public access uh, station here uh, in the very traditional way that you think of, and those sort of uh, Wayne and Garth sort of come in and create stuff. <laughs> and pre- we're very much that, and it's a very important part of what we do: giving people access to studios to create content and television shows that are very important to important to people here in Portland about issues and a number of shows that we've produced over the course of like 30 years that have been going on for that long that are about sort of cultural uh, activity, uh, about news and information, and and and, and silly stuff too. Uh, but because of the way that uh, technology and the internet has kind of taken over things, we've recognized that there is a different um, imperative now uh, because people don't necessarily need all those things to distribute content anymore. You can make stuff in your house. You can uh, sit in your bedroom and make a you know, podcast or, a, or a, uh, a YouTube channel that gets millions of views. So at this point, we're focusing a lot on education and training and getting people to um, 
to hone their skills and give. We have a lot of really great programs and for filmmaking and, and for video making for, for young children uh, to get them introduced into the idea of storytelling and how to create your own tell story and, and take things from your from your take your emotions and, and, and put them out there, which is very, very powerful in this day and age to be able to communicate your ideas about how you feel both socially, emotionally and politically. Uh, so I think that and we're also sitting in the middle of a historically African-American community. And so we recognize that there is an important uh, need to support that community in, in telling stories. And I think historically we have been, but I think we, we see now because of these things that are happening today that it's even more important to do that. But we offer classes, we offer, um, uh, we have a number of fellowships that we're offering to come in to work on. Uh, we have an artist in residence program. Uh, so, so many different things that, um, people can take an opportunity to take advantage of uh, in, in terms of media and film and television. But, um, uh, but that's kind of where we are now. And we've sort of done a complete rebrand over the last, uh, I'd say, year and a half uh, that is responsive to all these different things. Uh, because the role of, of public access is still very important, but how we operationalize around all those things uh, has need to sh needs to shift. And I think there's a lot of uh, public access stations around the country and some of these consortiums we're a part of that are going through the same thing. And so I see that we're becoming a hub for education and training in, in almost in a, in a formal way um, and being able to sort of point people in the right direction and support their, uh, their media education in almost like a, um, it's almost like a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like a, not like a media studies program, but almost like a media literacy kind of component, making people mm -hmm. understand what the power of, of what you're doing is and less of a just like, you know, serving customers to do what they need to do. We, we, we do serve our cust customers in a certain sense where people do have a relationship where they come in, check out our equipment, create things and put them on our channels. Uh, but we want to have more of a, of a, a deeper interaction with, with the community. Got it. Well, thank you so much for thank coming you. and doing no, this. Thank you very much. Oh, this is I great. Am so and thanks, grateful. Susanna. <laughs> oh my gosh, Keisha, thank you so much for bringing Ifani to oh, the no, studio and having the opportunity to sit in on this conversation was fantastic and so many incredible ideas to continue to ponder mm -hmm. and open doors and enjoy stories that are authentic. Yeah. No, thank you guys. Absolutely. This is this is great. And I I mean I'm sorry I could talk forever about this stuff. So I hope I didn't like overwhelm. That's everybody. the whole point. No, it's perfect. <laughs> That's why we do it. Great. Yeah, it's it just a joy. And see so. Black Panther and oh, see yeah. Wrinkle in Time. And, and see Moonlight. And see Moon Moonlight. Oh Moonlight. Oh, we didn't Get talk out. about Moonlight. We didn't talk about Moonlight. Oh, yeah. So many. Yeah, we'll we'll do it again. I met Barry Jenkins in San Francisco a long time ago oh. when he did Medicine for Melancholy. And it was like I, I remember we sat in the green room and I was like Dude, yeah, we gotta talk. He's we didn't amazing. have time, but it was a that was a long time ago. Yeah, different life. Beautiful, incredible stories. So thank you, thank you, Keisha, from the bottom of my heart. If on ye, looking forward to more. Oh yeah, there's so much more coming. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.